Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Take a moment to find a comfortable posture for yourself. Give yourself some time and space to ease in. And using at this moment, um, and if some of you are looking at the screen, you don't have to close your eyes right away, but taking in uh, Kalyanamita, spiritual friends that it's a blessing and a wonderful gift to practice together, particularly when we're social distancing and isolating, that we, we have this community to come back to, uh, this community to be here with in a deep, soulful way. So as part of the meditation, and people are coming on right now, take a moment to look at the screen or just to sense and feel the field of community. Um, and I don't know about you, but uh, just looking at your faces and being with you in presence feels like a flower in my belly and chest. You know, it's just soothing and opening to feel our hearts together and our time together, our space together. Um, such a gift and a blessing. It, this can be such an isolating time and a alone time and in some ways lonely time um, and lucky in Long Beach and surrounding Long Beach we have this beautiful built-in community to rest in and to lean into uh, when we're feeling this way. So now I invite you to close your eyes or soft gaze in your lap or down at your hands and take this opportunity to give yourself some long nurturing exhales. I always recommend like breathing in four and exhaling eight. Those exhales are a nice way to arrive in the body and in the present moment. So give yourself, you know, a good eight to 10 of those. Just taking a moment to sense and feel the touch points of the body, the felt sense of the body sitting. And you can even cheat a little. You could push your toes and heels, the balls of your feet into the ground. And take a moment to bring your awareness 
to the area of the feet, sensing and feeling the ground, the support of the ground, the earth, that touch. And you can even notice that that sensation is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Moving your awareness to the hands, noticing what the hands are touching. And you can even wiggle your fingers or push down on your fingers or palms and bring in your awareness just to that contact. Awareness knowing contact. In the same way, sensing how this body is sitting right now on the cushion or the chair, feeling and sensing that contact point of the bottom of the thighs or the knees, buttocks and hips, small of the back. Simply knowing there is a body and the body is sitting. Very simple, simple awareness. I'm taking a moment to scan the body bringing your awareness to the area of the forehead. The eyes and eye socket and the upper jaw, noticing any tightness, tension, gripping, holding. And I invite you to take a soothing breath into this area. Perhaps bringing some ease and relaxation into your exhale. And giving yourself permission to soften and relax. Noticing all the muscles around the mouth, the nasal cavity, the lower jaw. Faces hold tension, so it's an invitation to relax, drop in, drop down.
And if you like, bringing your awareness to the back of the neck. The shoulders. And using the breath, breathing in some fresh energy. And on the exhale, softening letting go, release as best as possible. Maybe you're just noticing tension or stress that's tight right now and doesn't want to move. And you can bring in some allowing, some being with, just as it is. Allowing the chest and the belly to soften. And no matter where you are or what's going on, Meeting this moment with kindness, with permission, with ease. Letting go of any wanting or desire for it to be different right now than it is. turning our attention just into this present moment as it is and allowing this present moment to be a resting place for presence, for a sense of being. giving the body, the mind, and the heart infinite permission to be the way it is. And as we allow this moment to be as it is, maybe sensing some sweetness basic goodness or kindness, maybe some refuge that's available in the awareness of body, mind, heart, this moment. This sweet Awareness that's not trying to do anything, accomplish anything, or get something. 
be just a simple knowing, a simple awakeness. that it's enough just to be alive. Just to breathe. Right now, just in this here, now moment. Sensing an awareness that that isn't against anything. Not arguing with anything. The mind is chattering, it's chattering, noticing that. The body's achy, it's achy and noticing that. Awareness doesn't mean to lean in or grasp or want. And it doesn't need to pull away. Reject. Awareness can even know sleepiness. Awareness can know contraction. Or irritation. Some part of this awareness can be spacious and hold whatever arising. A silent background. Or sound 
and thoughts come and go. An awareness that has lots of space for all things arising. like the space of a room allows objects to be there without being disturbed. An awareness that's spacious, open, undisturbed, by comings and goings. Anything that's known, thoughts, sounds, sensations, held, known in an open spaciousness. A stillness in awareness, like a still pond. Even if you can only drop in for a moment or two, resting in the stillness, abiding in the stillness.
whatever sense you have of awareness can allow breathing. on the sense of breathing into the restful place. Breathing in and out can be like the waves on the surface of a lake or the ocean. the mind wanders away as minds do. Come back into this resting place and allow the mind to drop in.
And the last moment of our sitting, sense and feel your body, your feet, your legs, your arms. Test pelvic area. And as you make this transition from opening your eyes, from eyes closed, if you can maintain awareness of the body. And as your eyes open, noticing that moment of looking and listening. It's great to see all of you today. So the sutta that I, I'll read the sutta that inspired me for this talk. Um, and the talk is building momentum in awareness and practice. Um, and that word momentum is an interesting word. So we'll talk about that. So this is the sutta. Um, from the Majinna Nikaya, and it goes like this. Just as space is not established anywhere, so too develop meditation that is like space. For when you develop meditation that is like space, uh, ar space ar when arising agreeable and disagreeable contexts will not invade your mind. So anyone experiencing agreeable and disagreeable contacts? <laughs> yeah, quite a few, right? And uh, a quote from uh, one of the Dharma teachers, Mark Numberg, he says, life comes with a messy underbelly. It just does. And we are experiencing very messy underbelly currently in our life. So much to cope with the issues of the pandemic and the virus, uh, the social justice issues, the racial justice issues that are arising, um, environmental issues. We're dismantling white privilege. We're trying to cope with the economic uncertainties. So we are in the messy underbelly of life. I don't have to uh, tell you about that. And he says, this is actually our inheritance as a human being. We inherit uh, and we're subject to the collective greed, hatred, and delusion. Well, that's my quote. I'm adding it. But we're subject to it. You know, these humans were born with a certain amount of greed, hatred, and delusion. And there is a collective impact of that, that we um, inherit as we're born and as we live through life. 
And some of our understanding towards liberation is to know uh, the impact and to see these things as they arise collectively and individually. And so it really serves us to cultivate a place within where we don't have to fall into overwhelm so much. Anyone been feeling overwhelmed lately? <laughs> oh boy, you know, or uh, despair or um, just paralyzed and lingering in negative state, giving up or cynicism. These are difficult states for body and mind. And we don't have to stay, we don't have to dwell there um, with our practice. The goal of the practice is to really take that refuge in awareness and build momentum and continuity through our daily lives. So uh, it's that place where we're not for or against something and, we, and we're not falling or falling into or getting lost in these difficult mind states, and less often so. So by cultivating an awareness practice um, in our mind and body and heart, um, and we're, we're learning in everyday life and everyday awareness and consciousness to abide and dwell and to rest in awareness. It's not a doing, um, it's a resting in and a being. So we don't have to do mindfulness or effort mindfulness, but we learn to fall back in and rest into it. I remember when I first moved from um, a Hindu style of meditation, uh, mantra concentration style into a mindfulness practice. And I was trying to be mindful. There's nothing more painful than trying to be mindful. Have you tried it? I was trying to like chop the food and put it on the plate and then bring it to the table and lift my hand with so much intensity and intention like this. I felt like a machine. Am I mindful now? Am I mindful now? No, I'm not mindful. I'm not mindful. How can I, you know, and I just made myself miserable with rigidity, with pushing a mindfulness. So that's not what we're talking about. It's that quality of abiding and resting in. So take a moment and check in and you, you can close your eyes or soft gaze. Feel the energy of the body. Think about when you're in a doing mode. Got to get it done. Got to get there. Got my list. I'm working. And so close your eyes and sense and feel what that feels like in your body. What does that feel like in your body? See yourself in that moment or in that day where you're pushing into the next moment to get it done. And, and now I want you to switch to remembering a moment where you were just being with something. Just being, not doing, just being, allowing, wherever that is for you. Uh, for me, that tends to be in the garden or walking sometimes outdoors 
or enjoying the person in front of me. And see what that feels like in your body, in your mind, just being. Allowing, just being with and abiding. And you can open your eyes. So anybody want to describe what is the felt sense in the body of doing versus being for you? You can unmute yourself and share that. Claire. I notice muscular tension, particularly in my jaw. In the doing. How about in the being? What do you notice? I take a big breath and I sigh and it just kind of releases. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? It's Richard. Yeah. Doing is, there's just never a way of doing enough for me. I mean, that's, that's one of my problems. I never feel like I'm getting enough done. So it is, uh, it causes in my body, probably in my gut. I mean, uh, that's, that's probably a uh, lower gut is where I'm feeling the tension uh, being I was imagining. Um, I've been able to join my son and then a friend on some hikes recently. And I just, um, those are the happy spots there that, that, that I'm just um, noticing everything around me. So it's a visual process and, and an auditory process and an olfactory process and everything. It's very soothing. Thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? One more. A doing versus being felt sense. Kate? Yeah. Um, what, what Richard said just um, illuminated for me, you know, doing feels like I'm an, an actor moving through a space, pushing and doing. And when I'm just being, I'm part of flow. And, you know, it doesn't mean that just because I may have stopped moving, that motion has stopped. I'm just being a part of all that is moving and changing and, and going on, but without this like pushing through it, pushing against it, pushing upstream, pushing feeling. Great, great. So you can see that awareness can, we can cultivate an awareness that has a beingness as opposed to a doingness that kind of allows things to be as they are and drops in that moment and rests. So I've had two wonderful teachers of that wonderful teachers. One is uh, my grandfather in Brooklyn uh, a million years ago. Um, and they lived over uh, a bagel store <laughs> in Brooklyn. And it was just this creaky old apartment, uh, very simple. And the kitchen was a big kitchen. The window had a beautiful, I would say, oak tree. 
And he would sit by the oak tree with his teeth. And he was from Eastern Europe. So teeth was very important as it is all over the world. And um, I would watch him as a little girl. I would just sit mesmerized, not really knowing why. Now I know why today of him preparing the tea in the glass cup with the spoon as they did in, in Eastern Europe and um, getting his lumps of sugar in and his milk. And if I was lucky, he would give me a lump of sugar on the spoon. But just watching him prepare the tea, sit in the kitchen, sit by the window with his tea. It was like the whole space of the kitchen and the room was filled with presence and love and awareness. I could feel his stillness and his joy for the moment by moment experience of that moment. And it was just drinking tea. His granddaughter was there. The window and the tree was there. It's a very nice spot to sit. He's just presence and being. And I remember how much I loved being in his presence all the time without knowing why it was the same experience he would um he was like saving pennies he was a laborer and he didn't have a lot of money and so um you know he would save his pennies in those days you roll up the coins and you bring them to the bank you know in a couple of dollar bills this was a big deal for him and he would just like take his hand He'd take my hand and we'd walk to the bank. But his walking, his movements, his being, his joy, he was so present in everything he did. It was palatable and it was such a calming, soothing and organizing factor in my life. And I consider him to be one of my great teachers and really helped me through some major difficulty, just that presence. And later, uh, when I got um, older, uh, and I've told you this story before, um, we, we discovered, uh, my friend and I, in the local botanical gardens in Queens, <laughs> in the middle of Flushing, Queens, right? This woman doing uh, Tai Chi early in the morning. And um, her uh, painting is right behind me, right there, Mrs. Chung. And she did Tai Chi every morning through rain, and I mean rain, through winter, through snow, through five degree weather, she never stopped doing the full Tai Chi. And I wound up doing it with her for several years because uh, my, my friend who was a guy, she wouldn't let him do it because she's from a society that didn't have uh, you know, men stayed with men and women stayed with women. So I got to be her student because I was female. And uh, for a year or two, I learned to do Tai Chi in a snowstorm and a blizzard and pouring rain. Uh, but the best part was going to her home. We uh, did an exchange where she taught me to cook and I taught her to speak English. And again, Every movement in that kitchen, kitchen 
was imbued with beingness and presence and love. I mean, you just feel her loving the cooking, making the dumpling or chopping whatever she was chopping the vegetables or rolling these pork balls that she did. And um, the exquisiteness of watching her be at one with her task in front of her. And her painting was the same thing. And that's how she learned it. Um, she's, she was from Taiwan originally. And the, the reason why they painted was to sense and be in the present moment and move the paintbrush as you're with the moment and the object that you're painting, just like that. Um, and uh, she would say to me in her broken English, her, she's living with her children and um, their grand, her grandchildren, their children. And she's like, she could never get over how rushed American life was, never. She was always like laughing, like what are people doing? And she'd giggle and she'd say, I don't get it. Why are you all running around, you know? And um, those were such precious moments of being with her. And I was very young, early twenties, and I didn't always appreciate what she was teaching. I didn't always grasp that she was teaching me a way of being and resting in awareness as we're doing, you know, beautiful way of being. And I, I cherish those moments, but most of us, and I've told this story before, so you must uh, forgive me, is uh, we have a discontentment story. And so we get entangled. We can't get into that restful, soft awareness because these thought streams come and knock us down. We get entangled and lost in them. And the thought streams, we form a self with an opinion and a view and a, a complaint, you know, and a, a, you know, an attachment and a, what's wrong. And we fight against the moment, which is normal. And it's, it's the way it is. Uh, but the entanglement, we get lost in the thought, the strong thought streams of emotion and feeling, and we lose that continuity of practice. You know, we lose that momentum because we're lost in our stories. And we're like these, I told, haven't told you the story in a while, so you'll forgive me, but when I was doing retreat at Spirit Rock, my first retreat on the first day of Spirit Rock, um, they have wild turkeys that run through the land there. And now they must be all meditating there without us because nobody's there right now. And um, there were three of them lined up, you know, in front of the meditation hall. And in front of the meditation hall, they had this huge bell, really big and loud. And somebody, it's their, it's their job, it's their yogi job to ring the bell three times so that you come in off the land and you know that the program is starting simple. So these turkeys are standing there and I'm standing there looking at the turkeys because we don't have wild turkeys running around on Long Beach, right? And um, the person rings the bell once, right? Really loud. They're right in front of the bell. And they both, all three of them look up 
and they, they, the look on their faces was like this. You know, it was just like that. It was mad wild turkey. And they were like, like that. And then they would go blah, 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 with each other, you know, and, uh, and they'd have a little come to, you know, and then the woman would ring the bell again. And the turkey, the wild turkeys would look like this had never happened before. And they didn't move, right? And they go like that, just like, like as if it didn't happen before. And then they'd look at each other and they go again. And then she hit the bell a third time. And it was, the turkeys would go like that. I mean, as if, you know, it just happened twice before. And then they'd argue like that again the third time and I was just watching this thinking I'm not much different from a wild turkey you know I do the same thing I'm always trying to argue with life with the unpainful with the difficult with the stuff I don't like and the people I don't like and the stories I don't like and I do the same thing I go oh! And then I call somebody to tell them about it. I create these selves and I'm telling my story and you just watch your story and you're in the story. And if you notice, it's painful how much these stories take over as a thought stream and they can stay with you for hours. They've captured you for hours, hours and hours and hours. Recently, I looked at an email, I read the email. Emails can create a lot of stories for me. I'm not even in dialogue with anyone. I'm reading the email and I didn't like the content of the email. And I was trying to um, go in the garden and enjoy the garden, be in the present moment, be in awareness and work in the garden, which is a lovely, absolutely beautiful thing to do. And I get out there, I've got the trowel and my gloves and my watering can, and I'm gonna weed. And the thought stream of the email was pounding in my head. It was just so loud. And really, I, I'm not even, the story was not that important to me as a person, really. So I don't even know what the hook was, but there was obviously a hook. And one of the things that was so helpful, and the reason why I'm talking about it with you today, is that I just, something in me stopped because I could feel the suffering that was with the whining and the complaining and the ranting about the email and the story and the truth. So there was suffering. I noticed the suffering in body and mind and in heart. You know, I really noticed it, all the energy at talking back to this email. Do you guys talk back to people in emails? I mean, in your head and nobody's listening and we spend so much energy and time doing that. I, I, have, I have talked to Mitch McConnell in my head a lot lately. You know, I just, you know, we'll talk to anybody in our head, right? But what was so helpful, and I want to use this as part of a way to get back and drop in to this open awareness, this resting awareness that was a tool at that moment, was at a certain point, I heard myself say, oh, she's really messed up about this, or oh, she's really caught. Oh, oh, she's talking. 
And what that did was um, help me disentangle from the thought stream that I identified as me, from my opinion and view that I was calling me. So by just saying she, and you could use he or they or it, right? The pronoun doesn't matter. Then that gave awareness room to observe it in a kind and loving and a compassionate way. So she's talking again. She's thinking again. She's opinioning again. You know, she's fixing the world and other people again. You know, she's fighting with what is. And that has been such a helpful tool because if I can, if, if awareness, not even an eye, if awareness can see the thought stream or the self that's coming up, you know, who do I take myself to be in this moment? And who am I arguing with? Well, there are a lot of selves in there. Did you notice there are perfectionistic selves? There are critical selves. There are fixer selves. There's guilty selves, right? There are parts of us that want to fix everybody and everything. There are parts of us that don't want what's happening. You know, notice when you're arguing with things that are already here. We may not like them, but they are already here. So, so a, a tool could be to notice the thought stream as arising and passing, and not necessarily you, but a part. It's a thought stream. And some of the hardest thought streams to separate from are the critical ones that attack us. That's an ongoing lifelong practice. And learning to separate so that awareness can come in and do its job. And behind awareness is wisdom. And behind wisdom is kind of an ease and a peace and a dropping. They show up, there's a um, continuity and a, mo a momentum, right? So one is um, to ask, who is it? That's, that, that's arising that I'm getting entangled in. Um, and the other that I want to say um, is to practice regularly, and I know a lot of you do this, uh, to practice regularly presence at the sense door, presence at the sense door. And uh, I have this beautiful passage from Thich Nhat Hanh that I'll read to you that is an example of this that is so beautifully written. It just makes my heart kind of weepy. Um, he says, um, <clears throat> I am awake in this sacred hour, writing in my journal. He's writing in his journal. My thoughts flow, and it feels wonderful to pour them onto paper. I've written about the spiritual experience that revealed to me how to look and listen with full attention. Such moments might only come once in a lifetime. They appear as ambassadors of truth, messengers from reality. If we're not mindful, they may pass unnoticed. The secret of Zen masters is discovering the path of return to such moments. I'll say that again. The secret of Zen masters is discovering the path of return to such moments. 
and knowing how to pave the way for such moments to arise. The masters know how to use the dazzling light of those moments to illuminate the journey of return, the journey that begins from nowhere and has no destination. Kwok Thai poem describes the appearance of a dahlia. A dahlia is a beautiful flower. Standing quietly by the fence, you smile, your uh, wondrous smile. I am speechless and my senses are filled by the sounds of your beautiful song. Beginningless and endless, I bow deeply to you. He says, do you see the moment appeared? The curtain was drawn back for a second and the poet could see. The Dahlia is so commonplace that most people do not truly see it. When you can hear in eternal song and see in miraculous smile, it is no longer an ordinary flower. It is an ambassador from the cosmos. I love that. It is an ambassador from the cosmos. Trufu wrote another poet. The petal of a flower is made only of four elements, but it is, but it admits a spiritual perfume. Your eyes are made only of the four elements, but they uh, radiate the energy of love. True Vu was expressing his sudden surprise. The moment arrived in a flash of light and then it vanished. Being able to see just once in a lifetime is no small accomplishment. If you've seen once, you can see forever. The question is whether you have a determination and a diligence. Many young people today feel trapped in prisons of discouragement and self-hatred. Um, my heart opens to them. It would be wonderful if we could identify and dissolve the sources of such a dark view of life. Um, and I could just go on, it's really beautiful. But in other words, what he's really pointing to is using and dropping into awareness at the sense door um, with the object and feeling and sensing it completely, dissolving into it as a way to cultivate and maintain that practice. There's a beautiful example of that. And I invite you today after the sit to go out and walk in nature and just look, practice looking, seeing, seeing, looking, and see if you can notice when that thought rolls in and starts, you know, right? And rather than just being with it at that moment and seeing it. I think that's why over thousands of years, meditation practice, they, they have traditionally asked us to stare at a candle or a flower. Uh, and I have been practicing just looking at a flower, like nothing, flower, essence, flower, flower, um, as a great way to settle the mind and sense into this spacious awareness.
So I'm going to say one more, and then I will send you to your rooms for chatting <laughs> together. <laughs> um, there, so, so I want to talk about three ways to cultivate um, this continual awareness to build momentum. So one is um, to disentangle from the thought stream, to separate the I, who, it, who is it that's arising? Two is to bring awareness at the sense door of the object. That was two. And the last one is what the Buddha taught, which is the first foundation of mindfulness, bringing awareness into the body. Um, and another way to practice that I love, but it's, you know, it, it's odd at the beginning and it takes a little practice to get used to is to do a body scan of my uh, feet, legs, arms, part of the body, not even all the body, or just to be with the breath while I'm doing things and moving, especially speaking. Because if you can hold awareness of the body, then it serves to protect you from unwise speech. Try it. It helps. It gives you that pause if you ground in the body. So the attention gets pulled back down and in, and you're not just about, blah, 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 you know, right? Reacting. Blah, blah, blah. You can really come back down and in. So those are the three ways to play with and practice um, of building momentum and awareness in your practice. And if I have time this week, I'll try to remind you on Facebook and someplace else, I don't know. But, you know, to practice this way, practice the three ways and see for yourself if, uh, in fact, you can rest in. Now, of course, I'm saying something like I'm asking you to do something to be. I mean, speech is bleh. Speech is hard to do. So it has a paradox, right? Uh, so I'm not saying muscle up people, right? Go out there and be. <laughs> that sounds so funny, like muscle up and be. <laughs> I'm saying um, a gentle remembering to fall into and to notice what gets in the way of that, right? What gets in the way? All right, um, can, yeah, good. So we can all hear me now. So would anybody like to share anything that came up in their group or any questions, comments? Now is the time. I think we're all trying to, I, we're all trying to, in, in our group, we're, we're dealing with the challenges of how to work with people who are having different, have very different viewpoints and what is, do, you know, how, you know, what comes up with that and, and how to make the best of it, um, how, how to grow benefit out of that type of a situation. So that's that's kind of what we came to um, in one way or another. 
to me, I'll let the others speak to that. Um, and I felt the, um, I think you were talking about one of the things that I br brought in from the beginning was that I really got something out of your suggestion when we're responding or reacting to connect with the body and what's going on in there. I, it's something I've been trying to cultivate in my curriculum and um, it gave me a way of saying it that uh, was, felt like it would, would be relatable to a lot of different people. So thank you for that. And I'm just, before I finish, I have a conversation with somebody at 1130. So I'm gonna probably be out before everybody else, but I'm gonna share something that I got to do recently. I did a conversation with a Long Beach musician, composer, artist about mindfulness and his, not mindfulness, but awareness, his um, experience with meditation starting at 11 years old. He was watching Alan Watts, he's Latino. Um, and uh, his name is Martina Espino. And um, I just wanted to let everybody know I'm gonna be sharing that YouTube, that conversation with him. And his, his source of wisdom is more in this area, indigenous um, sound, music. Um, and I think it's, it's an interesting thing to mix in with what we're doing here, since a lot of our stuff is coming from another part of the world. This is much more um, close to where we're at right now and, and physically. So hopefully everybody will, or some of you will benefit from it. So thank you for listening. Anybody else? Hi. Hi. Um, actually, um, I was able to kind of recognize um, and label um, a state of mind that I call, that I would call floaty. <laughs> and um, I've been doing uh, loving loving kindness for um, for quite a while. And prior to that, I I really didn't. Um, I didn't relate to it, but but <clears throat> I've been doing it for a long time now. But I find that my that I just feel floaty. That um, um, and and that's kind of my nature, anyhow. You know, it's like I try to keep my feet on the ground, but I but I kind of like being a little floaty in in general. And so I was reminded um, by you and by um, you know, people in the, the group that, um, you know, that I can kind of refocus on, on the body that I, um, and I may want to change my, my practice again to something more like concrete, because one of my life goals is to, is to be more integrated in terms of my feet on the ground and, 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 um, you know, floating in the air to be, yeah, to be more, more integrated in that area. So anyhow, I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Coming back down into the body um, was a great thing that the Buddha taught and um, we can really see its benefit, how it, how it serves us to ground in that body and sense and feel the body. Right. Is, is there anybody who's here for the first time? I should have asked that in the beginning of the sit. Anybody new that would like to just introduce themselves and say hi? No? Okay, just want to make sure. Do we have time for one more? One more share? 
Yeah, you had mentioned the concept of momentum. And I had been kind of having that experience. I sat all day last Sunday in my apartment and then a couple hours every day during the week and then all day yesterday. And then I got up and sat this morning before this sit. And it, it's, uh, it's been uh, interesting. You know, I, I'm finding that uh, there are a lot fewer thoughts. There's a lot more awareness of, of as you said, spaciousness and just letting things come and go and just watching. And that thought that someone is watching is just another thought to watch. And uh, so I'm very thankful for this practice and your suggestion of maintaining awareness of the body when speaking. I think uh, I'm gonna use that, focus on that. And I, I'm appreciative. So thank you. So you know what? I'm really, I just want to thank you, Anthony. I, before we go, uh, I want to say, oh, we have time. You know, this is the first time I've been teaching for a long time. I don't want to say how many years because it's a long time. And usually when I talk about mindfulness of the body, I get the response of people tuning out from that and not commenting on it historically. As a matter of fact, and I, I've repeated that one person said to me, could you stop talking about the body? It's so boring. You know, <laughs> just as early as the Buddha's first foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body. This is the first sit where all of you referenced mindfulness of the body over even the other things that that we've talked about today and i'm like wow you know wow so um so thank you for bringing that up that gives me um like there's a shift or something happening i don't know if it's because of the pandemic that we're more a little have more quiet in our lives and more alone or we have matured or or everybody is growing on the path, you know, but yay, that is so cool. Uh, yes, yes, Mindia, it means we're all enlightened now. <laughs> so, uh, Kate. I just wanted to share real quick, uh, in these pandemic times, we all spend a lot more time on Zoom, on these platforms. And I heard um, a Buddhist monk speaking through Zoom say that there's a special effect of communicating with other people while an image of yourself is available and how like disassociating that is because you start to pay attention to this image of yourself as a speaking person and you know even more so than having an in-person conversation with someone and getting you know sort of lost in your thoughts not being present not being an active listener zoom makes that problem even worse and yet it's our primary mode of 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 sharing and communicating right now so it's an extra important you know it's ironic we're discussing this over zoom but it's like an extra important thing to get into the body while speaking because a lot of our speaking we're doing it like this through the computer it's even more valuable now so thank you 
Good point. Good point. And as um, Don, and thank you so much. Um, so uh, <clears throat> very good point. Yeah, it is hard to look at yourself. I'm here. Oh, okay, thank you. Great. I was just going to say that, um, yeah, Kate, that's true. There's something you can do that I've been doing. Um, you can go to your screen and with you're at the picture of yourself and go to the three dots and there's something called hide self view. So you can hide yourself. <laughs> ah, there's a Buddhist at Zoom, hide self view. <laughs> you would think they'd say crush self view. I don't know. <laughs> Drop self view. Yeah, there you go. All right. It's also a challenge though, when you see your picture to, um, to, you could say image or looking, you know, and reflect back that it's seeing image and come back into the body. So yeah, good observations. What a great group you are. So nourishing and nourishment. Beautiful, beautiful observations today. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.